Hi, it's Wesley Ure. I played Will Marshall on Land of the Lost, and I'm the killer on Toolbox Murders. And you're listening to Moose's Monster. <laughs> I'm gonna get this right. Moose's Monster Mash. to the first episode of the new year of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose, and instead of doing our traditional year interview first, decided that in its place, what better way new to start the new year than to promote some new horror-themed products. And with that, let's bring back a friend of the show, for an actual episode, not just a little blurb, Mr. Jeff Ignatowski. Hey, hey, how's it going, uh, everybody out there? Hey, look, I got your name right this time. <laughs> I know, that's good, I like it. <laughs> it. It is not an easy name to get. So, what what's new, what's been happening with you? Oh, man, I have got all kinds of stuff going on right now. You know, uh, I, I never really stop. I'm always on the go trying to get some things done, and I have so much stuff uh, that is happening right now. We've got uh, a new game that's coming out. Uh, it's going to hit Kickstarter in March. Uh, it's going to start on March 12th, and that game is called The Profiler. It is going to be uh, the number one true crime social deduction game that has ever been created. It is going to be phenomenal. Uh, we've already gotten a bunch of really, really good reviews from it. And uh, I've got a few more to send out. Actually, I've got to send out some review copies this week. So hopefully we'll get a bunch of video reviews that will come in that we can put up. Uh, but also... Uh, I've got a book that comes out in April. My first book will be coming out. Uh, we got picked up by a publisher, which has been crazy. And uh, we have that ready to go. And then I've got a bunch of other plans and some uh, some talks with possibly doing uh, some TV shows and movies and all kinds of stuff. So uh, you just never know. Well, I mean, th that tracks because you – you definitely have a uh, wide, not wide, wide's the wrong word, a very in-depth knowledge of serial killers and uh, their ilk. Because when we first yeah. talked, it was, uh, you know, killer is a card game. Yes, that was uh, that is my first game. Uh, so Killers, the card game, was the very, very first one that I put out. Uh, it is still the most popular. Uh, I think it will remain that way until the Profiler comes out. I think the Profiler uh, will eclipse Killers. Uh, but it is still a great game. It's got uh, five expansions now. Uh, and later on this year, I'm going to put out a little upgrade to the game that is going to allow people to play it solo. 
So that's been one of the biggest things. People are like, I love the game, but uh, I don't have anybody to play it with. So we're going to make it so you can play it by yourself. <laughs> Hell yeah. And from what I've seen for Profiler, it seems like it's Clue without all the bullshit. And, uh, and, and by that, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you, you don't have to move around the board. You don't have to do all that. You know, it's still that very deductive. Uh, all right, who did it? But it's it's like Clue for adults, not Clue for the family. You, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we like to say that the profiler is like playing a live version of CSI. Um, and I, I really went to a lot of lengths to make it as authentic as I possibly could. And so there is a trigger warning that when you're doing the game setup that you need to read to all of the players because it is going to cover some very, very sensitive topics. Even though the game is fictitious in nature, uh, we did not take the actual crime um, uh, like case files or anything like that. Uh, but we adapted things from actual case files. So, so you it took is the CSI very, very and the Law and Order uh, model and used it for the game. So, so you are literally going to have police reports, medical examiner reports, laboratory reports. You're going to be reading through those, investigating the evidence that is put out by the FBI agent, the medical examiner, and the lab analyst. And then the townsfolk are going to be trying to figure out who in your party is the killer and what kind of killer they are. You have 60 minutes to figure that out. If you can figure that out and arrest the killer, the townsfolk win the game. Uh, if they don't meet any of those two requirements, if they can't arrest the killer and they can't figure out what kind of killer they are, uh, the townsfolk lose and the killer wins. So, um, so the killer is going to spend a lot of time deceiving the rest of the people playing, uh, maybe working with one or two people, maybe a bad cop in there too, uh, to help the killer out and throw some misdirection in there. But there are currently in the base game, there are six different kinds of killers. There is the lust killer, the mission oriented killer, the visionary killer, the comfort killer, the power and control killer and the thrill killer. So those are all taken directly from the FBI categories of serial killers. So we really, really dug in to trying to get people to investigate it and really learn the basics of criminal investigation. Uh, that was the feel that I wanted to have on the game. So it's a lot of fun and it is a very, very unique spin on social deduction games. So again, like you mentioned, there's no board in this. Uh, you're going to sit in a kind of a loose circle and everybody is going to get to interrogate each other. They're going to get to ask each other questions and figure out if you really believe what somebody is telling you. Uh, in the Kickstarter, there's going to be a blood typing mini expansion uh, that some people are going to be able to get. You'll also be able to purchase it too if you don't get it on day one, but uh, that mini expansion will give everybody blood types in the game. And so it'll be another piece of evidence that you can use looking at the lab reports and figuring out who the killer is. 
So, uh, so yeah, all kinds of neat stuff. Uh, I was actually working on it today. It's going to be printed uh, in, it's going to have three languages. So we're going to release it internationally. Uh, we're going to release it in the UK. Uh, it's going to be in French and German. Uh, so the Europe, European market will be able to get it. Uh, so yeah, we are, we are looking real big for this one. Well, and this also seems like one that would, uh, lend itself really well to like an online, uh, game platform. So you could, you know, so you could play with people from around the world and, you know, really like connect with a much broader community. Absolutely. So one of the things that we plan on doing, and, and I don't really know how to do this, so maybe some of you out there that are wiser than me and know how all this shit works, but I can't figure out Discord to save my fucking life. So, uh, like, it's got way too many complicated things for me, uh, but everybody and their brother is using Discord these days to play games. You can go on there, you can connect with people, you can run games in Discord. And so, uh, so I foresee at some point, once we get this released, that we, re- that we create a Discord channel and allow people from all over the world to create rooms in Discord and play this fucking game right there. And I think that will be incredible, uh, giving people the resources on there uh, to be able to you know, do everything that they need to to run a full game. Yeah, that'd be cool as hell. And yeah, I think Discord's the right place to start it off at. Uh, you know, because it, it, it has become such a, uh, it has become the universal, like, game chat. And you could do live chats, live uh, uh, audio chat rooms. Yeah. You know, it, so the, it's not the all other- text-based. Yeah, the other real cool thing there is uh, one of the things that we're going to do for the game, uh, because I wanted it to be infinitely expandable, is uh, we're going to give people uh, some blank police reports, medical examiner reports, and lab reports where they can create their own scenarios for the game. So very kind of D&D style, you'll be able to go in there, and if you want to like be the DM and you want to create a whole scenario for your people, you'll be able to do that. Uh, You'll also be able to upload that to us so that we can use it later on. And we can, you know, if somebody comes up with a uh, incredible scenario for the game, we want to be able to share that with other people. And so we would love to be able to feature some people creating content for the game and really, really putting it out there you know, because killers kill in all kinds of different ways all the time and figuring out how to string that together through those different reports, uh, I think will be really, really unique. It'll be a lot of fun for the people that really love to create that kind of stuff. Uh, And one of our stretch goals for the game is once we get to a certain point, we're going to be able to make those uh, PDFs on our website. So people are going to be able to go straight there. They're going to be able to edit the PDF right online, and they'll be able to print out their own PDF and use it for their game. So it'll look just like the ones that I created, 
that are super legit looking, uh, they'll be able to do that right there from their computer. So I think that'll be really cool. Oh, yeah. So let's take a step back. Where did your uh, desire to investigate all this stuff start from? (laughs) So uh, I grew up around a lot of true crime. Uh, right. I was, uh, I grew up right outside of Philadelphia. I'm from the East coast. Half of my family is Italian. I am not Italian at all. I am half Filipino, a quarter German and a quarter Polish. Uh, but half of my family is all married in Italian. Uh, I've got an uncle Sonny. I've got an uncle Primo. And so, you know, I kind of grew up in this, uh, mafia culture And so we kind of looked up to all of those guys. Uh, And most of my family all had restaurants and they were all fronts for the mob in the seventies. So I grew up around all of that stuff. So I was right in the middle of all the true crime in the Philadelphia area in the seventies and eighties, nineties. And so I also heard a bunch of stories when I was a kid, my dad met Manson uh, before the killings happened. Uh, he was not friends with Manson or anything, uh, but he did meet him once. So there was a story that he, my dad used to tell us all the time. And I kind of grew up with all of that lore. And so it always had me fascinated uh, about true crime and about all of that. Uh, on top of that, uh, you kind of mentioned this earlier with my, uh, my deep understanding of true crime. And some of that is a very personal thing for me, uh, because I not only was around a lot of true crime, I also like a lot of these different killers and stuff who struggle with uh, their intrusive thoughts and all of these things. I grew up that way. I grew up in a very abusive household. Uh, so there were a lot of things that happened to me when, during my formative years that really fucked me up for a long time. So, you know, I really had to learn how to process all of that stuff and to deal with all of that and to heal from a lot of that stuff. But during that time, I struggled. So I have a very intimate understanding of people that have all of these deviant uh, psychotic issues. Uh, Thankfully, I have not uh, decided to indulge in any of that like many of those people have. Uh, and they end up turning out the way that they do. But I struggled with a lot of that stuff. So, you know, I really had to learn how to become human because for most of my life, I didn't feel that way. It took me a long time to get to a place where I could connect with people and I could understand people and be empathetic to people. Uh, and, you know, the journey's not over. <laughs> no, it's, it's a daily struggle. That is for sure. Yeah, and you know, it, it's weird not to get all businessy, but it is a perfect segue into your uh, book uh, about true crime. So we've gone Absolutely. from card games to uh, deduction games to a book. How, how do you just not sleep? Uh, not much. 
I've always hated sleeping. I think it's a waste of time. Uh, if I didn't have to do it, I wouldn't. Uh, and this is, this is no bullshit here. I tried to figure out a way for a while uh, to like buy a float tank or something so that I didn't have to sleep, that I could go on the float tank for like two or three hours and I could get up and keep going. Um, I ended up not being a, I, I realized that that was not a sustainable thing uh, because everybody has to sleep. Like you have no choice. Your body has to recover. Uh, so it's not a feasible thing to do. Uh, but I got to tell you, I looked into it for a long time trying to figure out if I could make that happen or not. Uh, I just always felt like, like I don't dream. I dream very, very little. Uh, very few times do I remember my dreams, but, uh, I used to track my sleep and I would literally fall into deep sleep within five minutes and I would wake up within five minutes. So I was very, very few, few moments in REM sleep. So I would be in very restorative sleep for four to six hours straight. So I've always been really good at recovering and stuff even when I was doing all of my athletic stuff. And so like, I just have always felt super productive when I'm awake and when I'm sleeping, I'm not doing anything. So I'm always, I hate to go to sleep, but uh, you know, when I decided to write a book and this is actually my third attempt, I've had several other books that I started on and never was able to get it done. And I came up with ideas and then I get a chapter into it or I write the introduction or I, or I never even get that far. And this time uh, I am just so fascinated with the idea of true crime as well as fascinated by the uh, societal implications that that has, uh, that it was easy to write the book. I, I literally, uh, I was talking to my friend EJ Hammond who uh, wrote Memories of the Beast, uh, a book about Ted Bundy. I was talking to her about it, and she consequently wrote the foreword for my book. But I, I was talking to her about it, and I was updating her like every day on how many words I had written and everything. And by the time I got to like chapter six, I was close to 40,000 words. And so at that point, I had to make a decision because the book was supposed to be one book in three parts. It was supposed to be true crime myths and legends, part one, serial killers, part two, criminals, part three, um, uh, cults and religions. And once I got to like chapter six, chapter eight, I realized that I had to split it up into three books because it was just too big. I was going to be well over 200 pages in the first part. So we broke it up into three books. And uh, the other two aren't written yet, but we've got volume one, Serial Killers, and we're going to try to encompass okay. all of true. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I literally wrote the first part of that in like a month, month and a half. Uh, so, like, uh, like, EJ was surprised at, like, how fast I was writing. Uh, and ultimately, it finished out at, like, uh, I don't know, 56,000 words or something like that uh, in 10 chapters. So, yeah, we cover everybody from uh, Elizabeth Bathory 
all the way up to the last chapter is Dennis Rader. And of course, the focus of the book is not just talking about uh, the true crime people, but I wanted to take a different spin on it because there's a million true crime books out there focusing on all of the stories and all of the cases. And I didn't want to just regurgitate all of that stuff, but I wanted to look at it from like a sociology perspective. Like, how does this affect our culture? Like, what are the myths and legends that arise because of these events? And so that's really what I wanted to get in there and talk about. And I wanted to give people uh, a perspective of we need to look at all of the evidence and make our own decision. You have to dig deeper than just the uh, documentaries that are on Netflix, right? Uh, not that they're bad, and often they're very good. I watch them all the time, too. But you have to think critically because all of those documentaries all have their own personal slant. And if you don't look at them for what they are and one person's opinion, then you are missing out on the rest of the story. So I wanted people to be able to dig in and kind of start the process of being able to look at all of these events critically and looking at, you know, whether, you know, you believe uh, that Lizzie Borden actually killed her parents. Well, why do we believe that? What are the different circumstances around that? Are there different theories that people believe about why she killed her parents? Are any one of those, do they have more credence or did she not do it at all? So we cover uh, three myths and a legend in each one of the, uh, for each one of the killers. And we are literally just, uh, it is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I could write six volumes just on those 10 killers. Uh, because there's so much information out there and so many different myths and legends. But I had to cap it, you know, because uh, it can't be infinite, and I had to get it done. So. Well, and that speaks <laughs> to us as a uh, uh, culture, my, myself included. We are almost obscenely fascinated with true crime and these killers. And for some, it's they're held in a place of reverence. Whereas in others, I know at least in my sake, it's, you know, you take their stories and I use Bundy as an example. Um, you look at Bundy's case and everything surrounding Bundy and you look at him like a clock. You want to take it apart piece by piece and just see what made that clock work. And for sure, what's weird is as a culture, we don't really do that for anything else. You know, with true crime, we always seek to understand why. Like, we have to keep pushing the why. And that's always fascinated me. You know, we always wonder what made these guys tick. What made them, you know, do the things they did. And then, on the flip side, these real-life killers and incidents, 
inspire Hollywood. You know, so it's it's a never-ending cycle of it, it's just in your brain. You know, it, it's it's mind-boggling. I think it's fascinating because, uh, and this is one of the topics that I cover in the book, uh, and I actually end the last, uh, uh, my final thoughts in the book are very cultural, and I talk about that exact thing because there are a lot of people on both sides of the fence, right? There are people that think that true crime is the worst thing that's ever happened, and it's all it is is glorifying the killers and and besmirching the victims and their families. And I disagree with that for obvious reasons. You know, I mean, I have a true crime company. And uh, so, uh, but in, in the, the truth is, is that if we do not look at those things, if we don't understand the impact that that has on our culture, the game, even selling a couple thousand units, is pales in comparison to the number of people that watch any one of those documentaries a day, right? Uh, if I had 1% of the attention that Netflix gets when they put out a documentary, I would never have to work another day in my life, right? And so it, it's always funny to me when people get mad at me, uh, and it doesn't happen often, but every once in a while people get upset uh, because I do what I do. And, uh, and I think like, well, if that was the case, then you have to shut down everything, uh, including 90% of the movies that we, the horror movies that come out, like 90% of them are based on stories that have come from true accounts, uh, from different killers. Well, and, and so, yeah, like, so yeah, that's like, and just cause I just watched it recently, uh, the toolbox murders was based on real life events. Yep. Yeah. So real killer, real everything. They just tweaked a few things to make it, you know, movie, not real life. And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. So, you know, it's always that argument about, you know, well, you know, uh, when you watch a movie or play a video game, it's fictional because it's not real people. But if you really dig into that, that's not true. Right. Because everything is based on something else. Everything was inspired almost always from some real life account that happened. So the thing is, if you can't curb that, because you're never going to be able to stop uh, the film industry, you're never going to be able to stop the video games. But what you can do is educate people, right? Because what we need is we need people that are interested in this stuff. Because what we need is more people that are willing to go out there and discover the new forensic science, the new investigative techniques that are going to catch these people. Because people are never going to stop killing one another. Because we're humans, right? So what we need to do is get more educated and not be victims. And so we can go out there and we can be safer and we can discover people that are going to commit these crimes and we can see the warning signs long before they happen so we can get those people the help that they need. Because a lot of the killers out there, 
if they would have had the resources to get help, not saying that they would ever take it, but at least if they had the resources, some of them may not have done the crimes that they did. Eileen Warnos is a great example of that. I don't believe that that woman would have killed anybody if she wouldn't have been hooked on drugs and had no help for the amount of times that she was sexually assaulted. If she would have been able to have help with that stuff, I don't think she would have killed anybody. No, that, I, I, I agree. Me. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of them that had help been more readily available, had people recognized the signs. Uh, some of these uh, fatalities that we talk about in the documentaries and things, I don't think we'd be talking about to this day. Yep. So, yeah, I, uh, I think that it is uh, very important that we continue the conversation, that we, that we talk about these things, that we look at them uh, critically, and that we know what's going on in our society. Uh, I think the mistake is, is that we want to, you know, sweep it under the carpet and not look at it because it is horrific. Uh, it is scary to think that there are people out there like that. Uh, it will keep you up at night uh, because, you know, there are those people out there that are willing and able to do devious things against us that we could never imagine. Uh, but it doesn't help to stick your head in the sand and pretend like it's not a thing. Uh, that's the worst thing you could do. Irony is Hollywood shown us that's... Uh accurate too i mean look at you know halloween look at uh friday the 13th every sequel is like oh this never happened this never happened and then it you know all of a sudden the bodies start piling up and people are wondering why and you know it, it's like see it, it's always been one of my biggest pet peeves it's like acknowledge what happened and discuss it. Don't just, oh, this never happened. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you can't just brush it away. Yep. You know, you, 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 you use <laughs> it as a learning experience. Absolutely. So where can uh, listeners go support the profiler and look for the uh, upcoming book release? Uh, so if you probably the easiest way to get to everything is to go my link tree. It is a uh, link tree backslash killers TCG. So if you go there, you can find everything. There's a link uh, to the Kickstarter. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but if you go to the Kickstarter right now, you can sign up for the pre-launch it will let you know exactly when it drops. And uh, the first day we're gonna be doing a bunch of deals and the base game will uh, be like 35% off and you'll get the free, uh, you'll get the mini expansion. So if you are planning on uh, going and backing it all, uh, you're probably gonna wanna get on there on day one and make that happen. Uh, also, we have a super deluxe edition that is gonna be coming out as well. 
uh, and it's going to be discounted on day one. I haven't decided because, uh, honestly, I don't know how much everything's going to cost me yet uh, because I haven't done all the research. So i got to figure out how much it's all going to cost me before I can put up a price uh, for that one. But it'll be a, a good deal on day one to go and pick up that one. Uh, the Super Deluxe, we're calling it the, the Super Sleuth Edition. Uh, the Super Sleuth Edition is going to come in a metal attache case. It'll have uh, like a, uh, a Sherlock Holmes deer stalker cap in there. Uh, you'll get a T-shirt with it. You'll get a magnifying glass. And then you'll get uh, all of the stuff for the game. So, uh, so it's going to be pretty unique. It'll be really cool. Nice. And listeners, I will put that link in the episode description so you can go check out all that cool stuff. And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or just uh, head over to Moose's Monster Mash on Facebook or Moose Media Inc. on uh, YouTube and X. Jeff, this has been fun. Absolutely, man. I'm I'm glad to actually be on on an episode this time. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I can't wait for the book. And definitely have you back on after the book and the game drops and probably a couple times. And we'll talk more about uh, how everything's going, because I'm definitely looking forward to going through the book. Absolutely, man. So look for his book, look for his game, buy his other game. And until next time, Horror House, mash on. This has been Moose's Monster Match. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>